Okay, so we continue on now in our study of the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and we come today to the sixth of the seven churches to whom Jesus had the Apostle John write to on his behalf. So we'll be in Revelation chapter 3, and last week we studied verses 1 through 6, and today we'll pick it up in verse 7. But let's go back actually and we'll start reading in verse 1. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot, blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now beginning our verses for today, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, and he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, before we jump into these verses to the Church of Philadelphia, let me just take a brief moment and remind us all of what we're doing here in looking at these seven churches. Back in Revelation chapter 1, and you can flip back there, Revelation chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus is speaking in a vision to the Apostle John. And Jesus says to John in verse 11, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So we have spent some time studying in the weeks past what Jesus has had to say to five of the seven churches thus far. And now today, back in Revelations chapter 3, we're going to take a look at what Jesus had to say to those believers that were of the church in the city of Philadelphia. Now, of course, we're not talking about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, right? This church was in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. All of the seven churches to whom Jesus had John write were all in that same area in Asia Minor. And thus far, we've been able to study this letter, and we've been able to see how it applies to our lives today as modern-day followers of Jesus. As Jesus spoke through the Apostle John to the seven churches, we've been able to get a lot of life application stuff out of it ourselves. Now, the name Philadelphia does indeed mean brotherly love, or more correctly, it means love for the brethren. Um, and to the church 
Jesus, and to this church, the church of Philadelphia, Jesus describes himself here in verse 7 as he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So in this description of Jesus, we see that he has all power and authority. He is the key holder, if you will. He has complete control. That's what Jesus is pointing out to them here. You see, the key of David, as it says there, speaks of the absolute sovereignty of God to rule, to reign. Our Lord God can open doors and our Lord God can keep doors closed that no one else can open, right? And we will expound on that in just a little bit. But the original readers of this letter in Philadelphia, I'm sure completely understood what Jesus was alluding to when he says that he has the key of David. The reason they understood this is because, like I've mentioned in the past, a lot of what we're reading was based in Old Testament, you know, um, can't think of the words not coming to me right now, but a lot of it's based in what was in the Old Testament, and they knew their scriptures. Now, let me show you something here. Turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah chapter 22, and we'll look down just at verse 22. So Isaiah 22, 22. It says, The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. You see, we must always keep in mind that the Old Testament scriptures, of course, prophesied of or pointed to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He had, he um, he had come in the flesh. He hadn't come in the flesh yet at that point, of course. And at the time that I, Isaiah wrote this, but Isaiah prophesied of the coming of the Messiah or the Savior. Right now, in the Gospel of John, chapter five, it records a time as well when some Jews were confronting Jesus Christ. And Jesus said something to them in John chapter 5. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus told those people back then that the scriptures that they had in that day which we now have, of course, in our Old Testament books, those scriptures testify of Jesus Christ. But those Jews back in Jesus' time here on this earth were not willing to come to Jesus and to find life. Okay? He's, he's, the main, he's the only way to come, but they were not willing to come to him. The Old Testament scriptures pointed to it, just like we look back in Isaiah right now, and we see, well, what was Jesus referring to when he mentioned the, the key of David? Why would they understand what he was talking about, the church of Philadelphia? Well, he refer, we, we can go back and look at Isaiah chapter 22 and see where that's mentioned right there. But all of this was right in front of their faces on the, the pages or the the scrolls of their scriptures, right? 
And you know, in reality though, today the same thing holds true. The pages of Scripture, the Holy Bible, contains the truth. The Scriptures tell us the way, and it leads to life. And of course, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. There is, for all people today, one way and only one way to be saved, and that is by coming to Jesus Christ, right? By coming to faith in Him. And that's what the Bible teaches us. No church membership, no religious affiliation, none of that will get us into heaven. Jesus is the only way there. And back in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus addresses the believers in the church of Philadelphia as the one who holds the key, as the one who is holy and true. He is God Almighty. He has all authority to speak to them because he is the rightful heir to the throne of David. Okay? The kingdom authority, the key to the kingdom has been passed down and Jesus Christ is the one that now holds it. Now, again, which of course these believers in Philadelphia would understand that him having the key of David meant that he had authority to give them commands. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here too. He has the authority to give commands. He has all authority to uh, today to instruct us on how we should live as well. And he has given us his word in order to do this very thing. It is through his word today that we have instructions for life. I like the old acronym, is it called? You know, Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? And that's what it is. That's the way I look at the Bible. It's just instructions for while we're here, before we get out of here. Basic instructions before, Jesus, before leaving earth. So again, here in Revelation 3, Jesus points out in verse 7 that he... It is he who has the key of David. And he also says to them that he opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, we could talk about a lot of different things when it comes to Jesus opening and no one being able to shut and shutting and no one being able to open. You know, people have referred to that in so many ways, you know job opportunities, uh, you know, opportunities to buy this piece of real estate or whatever it may be. Well, God's going to open a door for me to do that, you know, or whatever. And there's, there, there are other different ways that you can look at it. That's really not one of them, but there are other ways that you can look at that scripture right there. But I'm going to draw your attention this morning to one particular topic. Again, Jesus says that he opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Well, Let's look at one more verse here. Verse 8. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. You have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. So we gather from verses 7 and 8 here that Jesus is the one that can open doors that no one can shut, and he can shut doors that no one can can open. You see, in the New Testament, though, on a few different occasions, open doors refers to evangelizing or spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I won't have you turn there, but I'll read these verses that I'm talking about to you. 
And listen to what these passages of Scripture say. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Apostle Paul wrote and said that a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So Paul was out evangelizing. He was spreading the gospel, telling others about Jesus Christ. And he had some very good opportunities that had come his way to do this. But there were many people coming against him. Then in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 2, Paul said that when he had come to a place called Troas to preach Christ's gospel, he said that a door was opened to him by the Lord to preach the gospel there. Then in the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 4, Paul had requested prayer for himself and the other apostles that were with him, and he wanted prayer that God would open to them a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Okay? So again, these three New Testament examples that I've just read to you here show us that an open door often refers to the opportunity to preach the gospel. And here in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia that he has set before them an open door and no one can shut it. So even though, as Jesus says there, they weren't a very strong church, they had little strength, the Lord seen their works and the gospel was going forth through them, right? And he noticed that they kept his word he said, and they did not deny his name. So they had a profession of faith. And I can't help but ask when I read that, you know, when the Lord looks upon us, when he sees our works, does he see that we keep his word and that we do not deny his name? You know, I could, we could really just stop there and spend the rest of the day thinking about that, right? Do we keep the word of the Lord? Are we living for His glory? Or does the way we live our lives actually deny His name? In our everyday lives, are we living in obedience to the Word of God? That's what it means to keep the Word, right? Does our everyday life testify of His name? And does His name have influence upon our lives in the way that we live? You know, do people know and see that we are men and women of God. See, he is, he is to be Lord of our lives. He is to be Lord of our marriages. He is to be Lord of our child rearing. And he is Lord of all. You see, the Lord God Almighty, the Holy One, as he calls himself here, the true one, the, the one and only, he sees our lives and he wants us to live this life for his glory. And when we do, we can be sure then that he does open doors that no one can shut. And he does shut doors that no one can open because he wants our lives to be an expression of who he is. Since the day that Jesus left this earth, his command to his apostles was to go and to preach the gospel. Right? And nothing has changed since then. The gospel is still supposed to be going forth. And we today as modern-day followers and believers in Jesus Christ, this is how we are to live. We are to keep His Word. We are to realize who He is, that He is Lord, that He is all-knowing, He is all-powerful, and we are to live for His glory. 
Okay, and you know, there's no time like now when it's fresh on our minds as we study something like this to to renew that commitment within our heart, right? If 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 you know the time comes in people's lives, and I hear people tell me they just don't feel close to the Lord, it's just a good time to turn around and repent and begin again to get close to Him. That's what I tell them when they tell me that. Okay, well, good. You're noticing that. You're recognizing that. Let's change that now. Let's turn around, right? You, you know, you can't keep the Word. I always say you can't keep the Word of the Lord if you don't know the Word of the Lord. And you can't know the Word of the Lord if you don't study the Word of the Lord and open up the Word of the Lord, right? So we need to become people of the Bible, people of the Word of God, people that carry forth the light and the power of the Word of God to other people around us, people of prayer, people who are actually known for seeking the Lord. And we need to place the Lord in the highest priorities in our lives. If you've denied His name in your daily lives, again, like I said, that's just an opportunity to repent. The Church of Philadelphia is the only church that the Lord did not rebuke of the seven churches. In other words, He didn't say, I've got something against you. He didn't say that to the church in Philadelphia like we see that He said to the other churches. They had an open door in front of them, even though they had little strength. And what they did was they walked through that open door. They lived the life, and people around them knew it. They just didn't talk the talk, but they walked the walk. They didn't deny His name. They proclaimed him, His name. And Jesus was the one opening doors for them and taking care of them as well. You know, I think it's a good time for me just to remind you of scriptures that I often quote, but I want to read them this morning. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Very familiar verses to you all. And I quote this verse all the time, but I thought we'd go and read it. Um, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, and we'll start reading in verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus is basically saying here, do not place anything above him. Of course, mammon is referring to money, and money, of course, can distract us in various ways. But Jesus goes on here in verse 25 and says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that, you know, we shouldn't, after we gather here today and we leave, we shouldn't say, oh, where are we going to go eat? No, he's not saying that, right? He's not saying that we can't do that. What he's saying is, don't worry about these things. Don't fret about these things. Don't put these things in such high priority in your life. Put him at the highest priority. And we'll see that here. And he goes on in verse 26 and says, look at the birds of the air. 
For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And of course, we know the answer to that question, don't we? In God's eyes, we are of great value, right? So much so that he sent his only son to redeem us, right? Verse 7, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So, the Lord is saying, don't be like the unbelievers, okay? Don't place the things of this world in a higher position in your life than you do the Lord. Yes, God knows that we have need of all of these things, but Jesus then says here in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So it's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of what takes the highest place in your life. Is it this world? Is it the things of this world? Or is it the Lord Jesus himself? Okay. So again, we are to place our relationship with Jesus Christ above all else. And back in Revelations chapter 3, Jesus commends those of the church in Philadelphia for having things in the proper order. And he then goes on to say to them in verse 9, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. You see, there's a bunch of fakes out there, right? There's a bunch of pretenders, a bunch of hypocrites. They look the part, but in their private lives, the part is not really being played out. And there are dead churches out there as well. They have fancy buildings, right? Nice landscaping, beautiful tile, carpeted floors and such. The people have nice clothing, fine jewelry. They roll up in nice cars. They appear to be alive spiritually like we talked about last week with the church in Sardis. It it appears that they, they seem to have it all together, but they're spiritually dead. And Jesus calls people who pretend to be of the faith but do not do the works of the faith, he calls them the synagogue of Satan. They are just a bunch of liars. But Jesus distinguishes here the church of Philadelphia from those type of people, and he calls the people of the church of Philadelphia the ones that he loved. Now, if you were with us back when we studied the book of 1 John chapter 3, you you may remember that we saw there that it says, whoever has this world's good and, and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God 
abide in Him. And it goes on to say in 1 John chapter 3, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, to each one of these churches, Jesus is saying, I see your works. I see what's going on. I know what you're doing. And he points out the good and he points out the bad. Of course, he's just commending the church of Philadelphia here. But we can't just say that we are Christians. The Lord looks at our deeds, our works. He looks at the way that we live our lives. Right? And this, this is what determines if we are his followers or not. Jesus said what? That a tree is known by its fruit. Okay? You know, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, where he was addressing the Jews in regards to circumcision, right? He told them that, that a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. That's in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. So there are those that keep up outward appearance, but what's within them reveals something different. And God, of course, looks upon our hearts, and He knows the truth about all of us. And the day is going to come when these pretenders will come to a place where they need the Word of God and they realize it and they will come to the true followers of Christ for help. And Jesus tells the faithful church of Philadelphia, the church that lives out a love for the brethren, right? Brotherly love, right? The church that is weak, which means to me when he says they're weak, they have to rely on him for everything. They have to rely on him to open the doors and shut the doors. And that's where I want to be in my life. I want to be at a place where I have to rely on. I don't want to kick doors down. I don't want to make things happen. I want to just allow the Lord to do the work that he wants to do in me and through me. Right. But he tells those of Philadelphia that someday that those folks will come and worship before their feet and to know that he has loved them. Okay. You see, again, these people of this church, right? We plainly see that they, what, by what Jesus is telling them, that they lived the life. They lived it out. They did not deny his name. They kept the faith. And in verse 10 here, Jesus says to them, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Wow. Two verses here that just speak so much to us today. For one, we see that Jesus does command us to persevere, right? Keep walking by faith through this life. Don't give up. As we go through life, there's many things that come to try and take us off of that course of walking by faith. And this world will constantly try and pull us in the direction of walking by sight, by what we see, by what we feel, you know, by what we can touch or whatever it is. But God calls us to walk by faith and we are to persevere in that. 
right? How many people do we see that haven't persevered? How many people have professed Christianity and then turned back and they give in to the sin of this world? How many people let the busyness of this life keep them from the Word of God, right? All, you can list all kinds of things, you know, and I'm not trying to offend, offend anybody, but there are a lot of things that people put before the Word of God, okay? Sporting events, right? Different things like that. All kind of things that can come on and say, well, I'm going to do this rather than being in the Word of God, rather than fellowshipping in the Word of God, right? People have too much to do on Sunday mornings, they say. Other things take priority in their lives, and they are people that are not persevering in the faith. Again, I'm not saying it's about church attendance. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we have to be devoted to the Word of God. There was this church in Philadelphia that was commended by the Lord for how they lived and what they did and what they were known for, right? And Jesus says here that if we do not persevere, that He excuse me, that if we do persevere, he told them, that he will keep us from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. So what do you think that refers to? The hour of trial that will come upon the whole world, those that persevere will be kept from that, right? The great tribulation. Okay? Those that persevere, those that keep his word, those that do not deny his name, like we see here with the Church of Philadelphia, they will not go through that hour of trial. On the flip side, right, those that do not persevere, those that do not keep His Word, those that do not live it out, those that deny His name, they will go through that great tribulation that is still yet to come. And when that time comes, they will regret the fact that the Lord was not the top priority in their lives. It'll be a horrible thing for them at that point because they'll say, oh, I knew. I knew that's how I should have been living. I knew what was right. Some, some do, right? And then the others that don't know, we got to keep preaching the gospel to them, right? And in verse 11 there, we get the indication that it is indeed possible to have the crown taken away from us. In the New Testament book of James chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So we are promised the crown of life, eternal life, when we live a life that shows we love the Lord. And that's what Jesus points out about the church of Philadelphia. They're the ones that he loved. They loved him. They were dedicated to his name. They were dedicated to keeping his word. They were dedicated to persevering. And they will receive the crown of life. And they will be kept from that hour of great trial that is to come upon the whole world. But Jesus warns in verse 11 here, hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. So we've got to hold fast. We must fight the good fight of faith. We must persevere as obedient followers of Jesus Christ. And we must always be aware of the fact 
that Jesus is coming quickly. That word quickly there in verse 11 is not a word that refers to time, right? But rather it refers to something that happens suddenly and unexpectedly. Okay? So the Lord is coming quickly means that it'll happen at a time when we don't expect it, like a thief in, a, in the night, as we also discussed last week when we talked about the church in Sardis. The church of Sardis didn't guard themselves against attack. They didn't think they had to because the church of Sardis was positioned, or the city of Sardis, I should say, was positioned in such a place on a cliff where you could only get to it from one side. And they didn't think anybody would ever scale the rocks of the other three sides to get to them, but it happened a couple times in history where they were attacked and people did scale that wall and, and take them over. And Jesus referred to them in regards to that that he would come upon them as a thief in the night if they did not repent. But the point is, is that we've got to keep our guard up. We've got to guard all sides. We've got to walk by faith. We've got to persevere. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep the word, right? So the Lord still calls us today to be ready and to live this life in an expectant way that he is coming back. Live in a manner that demonstrates that we persevere by faith. He does not want us to be complacent. He does not want us to be lukewarm. And we'll look at that when we study the church of the Laodiceans next week. But now Jesus will go on here in verse 12, and he further promises them that he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. Okay, pause right there because what we see here is Jesus referring to those that overcome this world as a pillar in the temple of God. What is the temple of God? Where does God dwell? Where is the throne of God? It is in heaven, right? And a pillar represents strength. It is the picture of strength. You see, we have these pillars here all around us that's holding up this roof over our head. And we have to trust in these pillars today so that this roof doesn't come crashing down on our heads. So they represent the strength here that holds up this roof, right? So those that overcome this world, those that persevere in the faith, they will be strongly rooted in heaven. Their place will be fixed in heaven, okay? That will be our permanent home. We will be there for all eternity, never to leave. And we don't have to worry about we're going to be kicked out. We're going to have to get out of there someday. It's, it's, it's a place that we're going in and we're staying there. Okay. And Jesus further goes on and says in verse 12, And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there is a great and exceeding promise for those that overcome. Jesus refers to the name of God being written on those that overcome. This simply means that we will forever belong to Him. This represents our eternal security once we arrive in heaven. In the meantime, we must persevere, right? Because we're not home yet. We're just passing through. 
This is not our permanent home, right? And in this world, we're called to be not of it, to walk differently from it. We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And faith is foolishness to many people around us, but it's, every, it's precious to us, okay? Not only will the name of God be written on us, but the city in which we will dwell for all eternity, the new Jerusalem, this name will be written on us as well. Remember, keep in mind that we're seeing a lot of symbolism, right? I keep reminding you of that. So does all of this mean that we're going to have ink on our bodies in heaven that say you know, who we belong to and where we belong? No, it does not. It simply refers to the fact that we will forever belong to God and we will forever be in heaven. Right now we have some temporary things that we go by, like Americans, for example. That's because we, I am an American. Why? Because I live in America. I am an Arizonan. Why? Because I live in Arizona. I'm a Maricopa Countyan. You know, on and on it goes, right? To where you're of Queen Creek, you're of Gilbert, you're of Mesa, you're of whatever, you know? But this is referring to the fact that of who we belong to and where we belong. And it's in the New Jerusalem, in the heaven. And we will discuss more in the future about the New Jerusalem. So I'm not going to go into detail about that now. For now, we're sticking with what the Lord has to say to the seven churches and how it applies to us. Okay, so again, right, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's why I think we have to see, you know, study how it applies to us. Because we're to pay attention to what the Lord said to them and what it means to our lives, right? And all of this, of course, does apply to our lives as modern day followers of Jesus Christ. So we'll stop here for today. And next week, we'll go ahead and take a look at the seventh and final church, the church of the Laodiceans. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, God. Thank you for the truth that we see as we study your word, Lord. And thank you for how it challenges us that we are to walk the walk, Lord. Not just talk the talk. Not to just look the part, but to live the part, Lord. That we are to place you in the highest priority in our lives, Lord. That we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Lord, you know the things that we have need of. And you will provide for us the open doors and the shut doors. And you are our provider. But you want us focused on you. You want us living for your glory. You want us to, to be living testimonies of your love and grace. And I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you will continue to grow us in the grace and in the knowledge of you, Lord. And that we will continue to put into action in our daily lives the things that we see in your word. And, and the truths that we hold so dear. Lord, we stand upon your word. We have no other foundation, Lord. And for all of us here who are saved, Lord, we know that, Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. It's not because of our goodness, our own righteousness, that we have received salvation. It is because of your love and because of your grace, Lord. But then your grace, Lord, when it enters our lives, it, it teaches us something, as it tells us in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It teaches us to deny ungodliness. 
to live soberly, to live righteously in this present age, Lord. So we thank you for your word, Lord, that strengthens us, that encourages us, but it also exhorts us and, when necessary, rebukes us, Lord. So we thank you for your living word. We pray that you'll be with us now as we go forward from here into the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen.